0: Good morning, I'd like you, if you will, turn to your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8, <clears throat> we've just read it, or uh, Nathan, uh, Nathan, I'm sorry, Jason just read it this morning, but um, maybe referring to it from time to time, it's interesting how. You get those kids to remember everything. It should be interesting we get to Matthew 28 if they can tell you what each each chapter is about. That's going to be interesting. I doubt if there's a few adults in the room that could do it. Okay, we read Matthew 8, 18 through 34. And we found out that Jesus has now finished his ministry of healing among those people. And now he wants to go to a Gentile area called Gadara. Uh, there were Jews living in that area. And because he wanted to go there, because remember, he originally came for Israel. And he said that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Well, there were lost Jews there. In fact, really all of Israel was lost without him. So he commands them, verse 18, to depart to the other side. Keep this in mind for later, (laughs) because it's interesting about his challenge to them based on this command. He commands, what he commands is going to be carried out, no matter the resistance involved. But before he departs, some people approach him, and we get a little bit greater view of this in Luke 9, 57 through 62. We'll turn there in a minute. But here in Matthew, we have two people address him about following him. In Luke, there's a third. The first man says, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. He was a scribe. Sounds good, doesn't it? I mean, man, I'll follow Jesus no matter what. But when we say something like this to Jesus, (laughs) we may not realize how we may be called to move out on a moment's notice, to go somewhere we wouldn't normally go. Jesus' reply, I wonder if it was something like this. Oh, really? Well, listen to this. But uh, it's not in Scripture, so I don't know if that's what he said or not. But he said, the challenge is this. The foxes have holes or homes. The birds have nests or homes. But the Son of Man, that's Jesus, has nowhere to lay his head. What's he saying there? The challenge is that you may be living in a very comfortable home right now. Uh, we have comfortable Christianity in America. And Jesus may challenge you to get up and leave and go with no place to live. Consider the Derringers in Vanuatu. One of their prayer requests recently in one of their recent mission letters is that a home would be provided for them in Mota which is one of the islands. But either way, they're following Jesus. And I also, you all remember that their daughter Waverly almost died of drowning. A lot of people, that would be it. My daughter almost drowned. I'm done. God didn't call me to this. And they just kept going. Uh, when I think just the emotions around that, would have, what that would have caused in most families. So... You may think, well, God called them to that. But don't you see that God has called all of us to be ready to move on an instant's notice and like Abraham to go out not knowing where we're going or where we're going to live. The next man says, Lord, first let me go bury my father. What does he mean? Well, his father wasn't dead. It was a custom in those days that when your father is aged and he's maybe near death, you go and live with him or have him live with you. And then when he dies, you settle all the estates and then you're free to go and do whatever. But Jesus says something that's just really interesting here to him. He says, let the dead bury their own dead. Now that sounds pretty harsh, doesn't it? He's not countermanding the commandment to honor our father and mother. He's saying that all allegiance belongs to him. All allegiance. Another aspect, of course, man may have been expecting some inheritance out of his father's estate. But when you follow Jesus, you go out not only not knowing where, but where you're going to live. But he promises that you'll be provided for. The third person we'll look at in Luke 9... 57 through 62. If you got the notes, it's in there. If you don't, turn your Bible there. Luke 9, 57 through 62. It's it's a duplicate account of the same event, but it goes a little bit further. Luke 9, 57. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then another said, follow me. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go bury my father. Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead. You go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me go and bid them farewell who are at my house. Jesus said to them, No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, he is not talking about salvation here, okay? He's talking about the kind of discipleship that follows Jesus in a way that says, I'll go anywhere. But the challenge from him is are you sure? Are you really sure? And we see that at the same, at the t- same too, the allegiance has to be to him first. And look at his response: No one having put his hand to the plow and looking bad, is fit back is fit for the kingdom of God. You farmers know exactly what he's talking about, don't you? You can't plow a, a, a straight furrow if you're always looking backwards. You've got to keep your eyes forward. And Jesus is using this illustration to tell us the kind of person that he's looking for for service. But the person who keeps his eyes on Jesus and cares nothing about the past. Paul put it this way in Philippians three thirteen through 15. Brethren, I do not count myself apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind Reaching forward to those things ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ, God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let as many of us as are mature have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will even reveal that to you. We all need to evaluate what we say to the Lord and that what we're saying we're going to, is going to add up to what we mean. By the way, the issue here is, again, not salvation, but following him for ministry. Not performing your own ministry, but being prepared to have no place to live, no observable income, and to never look back, ever. That's what we're being called to. Remember in verse 18, he said, he commanded them to go to the other side. That's probably, you got that slide Put that up there. This is probably the kind of boat they were in. (laughs) It's about, uh, let's see, 26 feet long. Seven and a half feet wide, about four feet high. And imagine taking that out in a tumultuous sea. And imagine sleeping on the back while it's going on. Um, that, That... boat that ship or whatever you call it they were in sure didn't provide a whole lot of protection because Jesus told them back in verse 18 we're going to the other side The disciples by this time should have understood that then Jesus gives a command he's going to make sure it gets carried out so he goes to sleep <laughs> Confident in the Father's will. I I love, by the way, this word for storm here is the word seismos in Greek. It's where we get our word for earthquake. In other words, it was that terrible. An earthquake, by the way, can create a tsunami. And coupled all of that, here comes this great wind. So we're talking about that little boat out on a sea with waves coming over the top. And he's still asleep. (laughs) Don't you love it when you see people confident in the Lord that they can sleep in a crisis? Very few people do that, but if you know who really is in charge, you can sleep peacefully. The disciples, probably Peter, woke Jesus up and said, Lord, save us, we're perishing. Another gospel, he says, Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? Ooh, that's a terrible, terrible accusation to make to the Lord, isn't it? They did. And he got up and he said, When you pray, by the way, I want you to think about something. It doesn't seem like when we're in our worst place, when we call out to God, it doesn't seem like he does anything about it, does it? Because he's got his timing. He said, we're going to the other side. He didn't say what was going to happen in between, did he? <laughs> he didn't say how difficult it might be to get there. He just went to sleep. Because when he gave a command, he insisted that command be acted on immediately. And he gets up and, and he, he just stops everything. Peace be still, he says in another passage. And he rebuked the wind and the sea and it stopped Dead still. And we know that when we go find out this application that he made here to the storm also applies to the demons in this world. He has absolute, total control. We're going to see that in a minute. But he says, why are you you fearful, O you of little faith? And I want you to consider something about what he said here. He didn't say, O you of no faith. There's a completely different Greek word for saying no faith. It's actually the Greek word aposteo, and it just simply means you don't believe anything. You don't believe. It's unbelief. He said little faith. It's a different Greek word, and it means little ineffective faith. You got faith in Jesus, but it's kind of ineffective because you're really not that confident. And so he shuts down the storm, and you wonder... Why, did they, why were they fearful? He's asking them a question. Why are you fearful? When he asks a question, you're supposed to be an answer, right? You're supposed to give him an answer. I talked to a couple the other day, and I said, what would you say if you're standing before the Lord, and he asks you why he should let you in his heaven? And the one person said, do I have to have an answer? And I said, yes. <laughs> I'm not sure he's going to say that to anybody, but you know what I'm saying. There, you have to have an answer. You may give the wrong answer, but at least it's an answer and it can be corrected. Where did Jesus say they were going? The other side. side. Was there any doubt about it? Not in his mind. Evidently there was some, though, uh, in the minds of of the disciples because their faith wasn't based on his command, his promise. It was based on fear. Now... We're, when we're in God's will and something gets in our way, and we're sure it's God's will, no matter how big or small, we should continue on anyway. Confident that Christ will have his way no matter what the obstacle is. Now, there are a lot of different ways to find out what God's will is, and we could talk about that in another sermon. But when we completely trust him to bring things to pass, We have his word on it that the matter is final. You see, I see so many of my friends, Christians, and church members just living in fear. And I think my wife gets aggravated at me that I don't fear much at all. And it isn't because I'm confident in myself. I just believe God's word. And when he says we're going to the other side, that's what he means. Believer, let me just say to you about death. You're going to die if Jesus doesn't come back, and even then you're going to be changed. You're not going to be in this body, or at least not this body as it is right now. corruptible has to put on incorruptible. But he says, when you accept him as your Savior, I'm taking you to the other side. <laughs> Are you sure about that? I hear people doubting their salvation. I used to do it myself a lot, based on how I acted. But that's not the basis of my salvation. It's the basis on what he did and who he says, what he says he's going to do. If you're fearful about dying, take confidence. If you really trust Jesus Christ... And by the way, everybody fears death in some way or another. They might not fear the fact that they're going to die, but they think, oh, gee, I hope it's not too painful. (laughs) It depends on where you are and how it happens. You might die in your sleep. Somebody might cut your head off. I don't know what's going to happen. But either way, we're going to the other side, guys. Folks, we're going to the other side. Amen? And that's what we should be looking forward to. So... He gets up, no matter how big or small, handling the problem and rebuking them. He rebuked the wind, he rebuked the waves, and then he rebuked them. <laughs> I think that's interesting. And these men marvel. Now, you would think by this time, we've got eight chapters of Matthew, and I know they're still learning. I don't even know if we're the first or second year of his ministry, but they do this. They say, who is this? Who is this? There's a song we sing at Christmas time. What child is this? Are we going to sing that next week? Who is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. Who is this? Well, he's the great I am, he's the creator God, he's the one who put everything in motion. He made all the planets and all the stars and he made us perfectly rotating around where we're supposed to be in our appointed places. With order that's so amazing that it baffles the mind. But he's the one that we can have confidence in. A person that we are dealing with here is the Lord of lords. The King of Kings, the great I am. And he controls everything. There's only one thing he doesn't always control. You and me. And that's sad. He even tells the animals where to find food. And yet we have the gall to rebel against him. And we're the only ones created in his image. Well, they get to Gadara, and there's an event here that happens that's really interesting. Two de- demon-possessed men in caves and along the road there, and so they were so exceedingly fierce that no one could pass by. Of course, that's the path Jesus chose. you <laughs> I mean, I think about it, oh, I would never go that way. There can't be anybody who needs to be saved there. Jesus says, we're going to go where the worst possible people are. He may call you to go to places like that. I talked to Bonnie and Paul this morning, and I, in my notes she says it says to the bars, to the slums, to the ghettos of Charleston, Missouri, where Shining Lights located. And I, Bonnie, told me a story about her and some ladies were going to visit a lady who lived over a bar. So they went into the bar to get to the upper part of it, and the, when and they probably shouldn't have gone in there without a man with them, but <laughs> they did it anyway, and the lady said later, um, correct me if I'm misquoting this, if I see some bunch of church ladies, I don't know if that's what she said or not, but come into a place like this to rescue me, i got to go to church with those people. Most of us would say, Hiss boo, there's alcohol in there. And go home and take a couple of slugs of NyQuil. But the, pro- the problem is, is that It isn't where you're at that God's calling you. It's the fact that he's calling you to go there. Do you understand that? You get it? Because this is where the sick and the demon-possessed people are. It's unlikely they're in your living room if you're following him you got to go where he wants to go, and that was a path people would take way out. As a matter of fact, if you, how many of you read the, the John 4, the woman at the well? Did you know that no normal Jewish people would have ever encountered that woman? You know why? Because they would avoid Samaria completely, and Jesus went right through, looking for those he could seek and save. Oh, we've got it so good here, folks. Imagine what the disciples expected when they see these two guys coming out of the caves, running at them. Other Gospels tell us that uh, they would, people would chain them up and, and they could actually break the chains, supernatural power, break the chains. Uh, other places they tell us they would cut themselves in agony. These are really wild men. And the demons in them recognized Jesus. They were fearful that they were coming toward Emmanuel, God with us. And they cried out, please, have you come to torment us before the time? What's he talking about? Well, the time that all demons will be cast in the lake of fire. And they they knew who they were dealing with here. And they knew the power he had. He was the only person who could cast them into the lake of fire. Imagine these physically powerful men trembling at the feet of Jesus. The demons are scared. They entreat Jesus to cast them into a herd of swine nearby as opposed to being cast into the lake of fire prematurely, which is what they were probably thinking. So he says, go. Go to the pigs. Boys and girls, are you listening? Jesus said, go to the pigs, demons. What happens? This is, remember, a primarily a Gentile area. In fact, Jesus was referred to being born in Galilee of the Gentiles. So there were a lot of Gentiles here, and Gadara was one of them. Eating swine or pigs was a primary food for them. He sends the demons into the swine, and the other passages tell us there are about 2,000 pigs there. That's a lot of pigs. But listen to this. Also in Luke, he said, what is your name to the demons? And they said, Legion. And that's 10,000. 10,000 of these things were in these two men. 10,000 demons. So they run into the swine. And when they did, the, the, the pigs just ran violently down a steep hill and into the sea and perished, died. You know, the pig's fate here, these pigs, kind of prefigures the picture of the final fate of all demons. When God comes back, and Christ comes back and throws them into the lake of fire, based on the decisive victory that Jesus made at the cross and his resurrection... And they were thrown into the lake of fire. It's just a picture of what's going to happen. So the pig herders rush into town and tell people what happened. And what is their response? Well, they see these two men, formerly demon possessed, sitting at Jesus' feet in their right minds and fully clothed. Do these people say, Well, praise the Lord, these guys were healed. We can walk up and down this road now. Isn't that great? That's not what they did. Their pig business was more important to them than Jesus. He could have done anything for them. Healed them. Saved them. But they were more interested in their pig business. And they turned him away. Asked him to leave. I wanted to ask you a question this morning. Where is your allegiance? Oh, I follow Jesus. I mean, where is your allegiance really? Where's mine? This is a challenge to me. John, where is your allegiance? Who do you hold allegiance to first? To America? There's no American flag in heaven. To your family? We saw what Jesus said about Looking back, where's your allegiance? We've seen different challenges. The issue is who do we put first? Our family, our homes, our businesses, our places of comfort. We prefer not to go out on the stormy sea with Jesus, don't we? We prefer not to do that. We'd rather stay safe on the shore, not go where the stinking demon-possessed people are really need our help these are the ones who are really really broken I don't know what Christ is calling you to today I really don't I don't know each of us have our own call from the Lord but I entreat you to listen to him and obey him follow him he may be calling someone here today to salvation just say yes He may be calling someone to preaching ministry. Say yes. (laughs) What are you laughing at, Andrew? (laughs) He may be calling you to the mission field. He may be calling you to go help those who have been through a storm or an earthquake. Or maybe just to open your home for a home team Bible study without worrying that your house is not clean enough or you're not big enough or you don't want people tracking mud in your home? How do you think Jesus would feel about that? What would stop you from fully following Jesus? He goes to some dangerous places sometimes. And... He promises to keep you when you go to those places. and But he also promises to bring you safely home. Amen. We're going to share in the Lord's Supper this morning. I want you to think a little bit about what it really means to follow Jesus. What allegiance to him really means. Because when you take this bread and you take this cup, you're confessing something observable. You're confessing that Jesus is Lord of your life, that He died for you, that He's coming back again, that you're cleansed only by His blood. That's what you're confessing. You're not taking, doing some ceremonial religious thing. We don't do that here. You're saying observably, I'm following Jesus no matter what. I go out. Foxes may not. They have holes. I may not have a home. I might need to go and take care of my aged father or mother. And he's saying, let the dead bury their own dead. Or you might want to just go bye, say bye-bye. Jesus says, don't look back. Follow me all the way to heaven. (laughs)